join me in a couple passages. One is the book of Romans, chapter 2, and we'll be looking at the verses there in the teens. And then I want you to look with me at another passage found in the book of Acts, chapter 3, and we'll also be in chapter 4 today, and that's where we'll be primarily today. I want to talk to you about MIA, Missing in Action, and what's missing is the American conscience. I sincerely want to just really drive that home to you today, that we are living in a day where we continue to see that slip away, point in case, uh, case point. Here's, here's my point, <laughs> say it that way, since I can't say it the other. Um, it is a day where we continue to see values and ethics that our nation have held, even for long periods of time, slip away. How does that happen? We're going to talk about that today. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, one of those strange people, that I sometimes talk to the television. Do you, anybody else here, can you relate to that? I also talk to traffic. I don't know if you uh, have that experience, but sometimes I talk to traffic, especially certain cars, and uh, talk to them. And uh, I don't know if you do that, but I'm one of those crazy people, and I'll just go ahead and admit it, that I do that on occasion. But why I would talk to the television, I don't know, or talk to a tablet, or talk to a computer, I don't know, but I do on occasion. And I don't know who it is that uh, you can react to like that. Perhaps it's the president, perhaps it's a talk show host, perhaps it's a political commentator, perhaps it's a congressman or a congresswoman, Uh, maybe it's Sean Hannity, maybe it's Anderson Cooper, Uh, and on and on the list go of who you might uh, react to. Uh, media can definitely get me jacked up sometimes in uh, what I see and hear, and maybe you have a similar experience. Andy Stanley, who is pastor, and you may know him better by being Charles Stanley's son, he pastors a, a great church in the uh, Atlanta area as well, and it's North Point Church, and they now have multiple campuses uh, there and just uh, reaching lots and lots of people uh, there in that area. Andy said something that I'm going to use today. In fact, I was reading a book of his um, last year when I found this definition, and I want to share it with you because um, he re- here's, here's a quote out of that book. He says, When the prosperous no longer recognize the source of their prosperity, they become ungrateful. And their ingratitude eventually evolves into greed. By eliminating God in our national conversation, we eliminate our ability to publicly recognize the source of all prosperity. This arrogance will ultimately eat away our national conscience, our national sense, and then listen to how he finds conscience. Our national sense of oughts and ought-nots. We all have an internal system in us, and it's the way you're wired. And I have sure learned from traveling abroad and being on uh, almost 20 mission trips now um, out of the country. I think this one coming up will be number 20 in the fall when we go to Mexico. Um, I have just learned to really pay attention to the cultures I find myself, what's really important and heightened to them, and the consciousness that that society, that culture has. 
and trying to not offend them because I grew up with a different set of thinking and, and values. But uh, I do want to share with you that it's important for us to realize that not everything can be put into these categories because here's what's happening today. You listen to the media, you listen to other people talk, you even listen to certain or you read certain people that are writing on the topic and they'll be in these categories of what the problem is in our nation and it's not what they say it is. But they'll say it's conservative versus liberal. It's rich versus poor. It's capitalism versus socialism. It's big government versus small government. It's Republicans versus Democrats, and yes, throw the independents in there as well. Most all issues we face as a people, they are, there are biblical principles that we can address to those issues. And it's important that we as the body of Christ don't get swallowed up in all the stuff that's going on in our nation. And that we remember that God has called us to first be Christians and to stand for his word and to do that in a loving and compassionate way. And I want to take the time this morning to talk about that. And uh, let's stand together. I want to read to you two passages of scripture. They're different than the ones I told you, but we'll get to the ones I talked about. Let's stand up for a second. Listen to this. For a long time, I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 3. It says, for a long time... Israel was without the true God and without a priest to teach and without the law. That's what resulted in Israel because they got away from the living God that they had served. Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. Remember Solomon said that his commentary in Proverbs were observations about life. It's important to remember that about the Proverbs. He watched this play out and said, this is what's true. This is what I have observed. This is what I've learned. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Father, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you uh, help us to waken the conscience that we have within our own beings. And Father, that we may be a part of revival and even spreading that in our nation. And Lord, we just ask that we would be reminded of who we are and that we cannot be compromised. We cannot compromise in the day in which we live in this pluralistic culture. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Andy Stanley defined something for you that's really important. I hope you really grasp this. I think it's as good a definition as I've found in in looking to speak to this subject, and that is MIA, the American conscience. What, what's happened to the conscience of our, our nation? Well, Andy Stanley made this comment. He said, consciousness is the eternal part of us that informs us of our oughts and our ought-nots. And that's a, that's a good, simple definition of what the conscience really is. This American conscience, this DFW conscience, this Grand Prairie conscience that we have. There's some things that we will share. Now, we grew up in, with different parents and different values, so that's going to vary it from time to time. Some things will be more important to you. Others will be more important to somebody else. But I want to talk to you about consciousness is the eternal moral code. And when you violate it, you feel bad, don't you? 
You feel guilty. Have you ever noticed that when a conscience, when conscience is, is violated, uh, you can see it in a child very plainly. When you're raising children, and we raised four, and uh, I can tell you that when they got busted, and it was clear that you knew what they did, boy, the guilt would be tremendous, wouldn't it? In fact, you always are a little concerned when there's not guilt, right? You're like, why don't you feel bad about this? Uh, sometimes they're just, they feel bad that they got caught, right? They don't really feel bad about what they did, and that does play out sometimes. But this moral code, this internal consciousness that we have, that we, uh, we kind of just walk through life, and these are things that we value and things that our culture values. Well, those things are changing, aren't they? It's changing. And... Uh, we find ourselves in this pluralistic society where we have a mix of religions. Uh, there's a lot of secular, secular uh, thinking within our culture now, and some of it's just mixed in with the church, and it, it makes for some confusing times, doesn't it? Uh, because our, we're, we're starting to have to swim more and more upstream. Here's something that's really sad. I'm going to go ahead and say it because I know God's over it. But uh, one of the things that we're not addressing in the United States of America is that the church of Jesus Christ, Christianity as a whole, much like it did in Europe these last 50 years, Christianity is declining in the United States. Are you aware of that? Nobody's talking about it. They're not talking about it. Church roles, membership, attendance is declining. The number of people being reached. Now, here's the good news. There are many mega churches each year that are bursting on the scene that are coming into play. In fact, they tell us that it's about 30 new ones in the United States each year now, that there are going to be 30 more mega churches. So that tells you that God is doing a unique work. He's using large things to do some of his work. The other thing that's really, really cool in the United States is church planting. We're doing lots and lots of church planting. There are many of those new church plants that are going to grow. Here's something else that's really neat. There are many established churches like the Oaks that have seen God with fresh movements begin to awaken them and they grow. There are pockets of growth in Christianity around the United States and that's what I have hope in. And I want to be one of those pastors and I want to be one of those churches, don't you? that we're growing, we're going against the tide, we're going against what the culture is doing, but the reality is, and here's what's bizarre to me, no one, hardly anyone, is really addressing the declining Christianity in our nation. We've got our head in the sand over here, and we're doing this number, and you're just hoping it gets better. Well, I have learned that God doesn't seem to work like that, Every now and then he just bursts on the scene and, man, something happens that people weren't seeking or, or looking for. But most of the time, God moves when his people are seeking him with their whole heart. And in that moment, revival sweeps in that group of people and God does a fresh new work by the power of his spirit. And there's a new wave of Christianity to ride into the future. Now that's what I see him doing most of the time. I have been blessed in that I've gotten to see, even in this day we're living in, I've gotten to see churches that were growing. And I tell you, we just did some very basic things 
and that's why we were able to grow. But it is tough right now. There is an anti-Christian flavor to the United States. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Even with things that are going on nationally, it's still part of the, the mix. So the worst thing we can do is not talk about it. Well, I hope the church gets better. Every now and then, first service, one of the uh, seniors will say, Pastor, have you ever seen things as bad as they are right now? And I said, well, you know, when it's bad, there's always a hope for, for good, for God to bur- bust loose and do something fresh and something new. And we do need to hold on to that. We really, really do. I want to share with you a couple of things. One is that a national nations often and not always, but often share a collective conscience as well. Not everyone in that nation, and boy, I sure have learned that, but here's some examples of how God has worked through a a, a culture and a sense of values to get his, his people to do something that is a movement away from something that's unjust. Number one, anti-slavery movement that took place in England and also in the United States was fueled by an appeal to a national conscience that we value people. People are equals. Somebody should not be somebody else's slave or servant. Now these are things that we just, there was an awakening about. And our nation in here in the United States led the charge. And yes, it was with turmoil because people don't like change, do they? The civil rights movement was an appeal to a national conscience. The laws governing abortion. It just makes sense to us that life should be protected. Isn't that a value you were taught since you were a little child? I mean, I can remember uh, just all types of things taught to me as I was growing up about that. But it doesn't make sense for a child that's been in its mother's womb for three months or six months or eight months as these latter-term abortions that became big a few years back. It just doesn't make any sense. Life is precious. Life has value. Life has meaning. Everybody deserves theirs. Those are all things that we've taken from Scripture, isn't it? They're values, a consciousness that we have, 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 have gathered. And I know that when I speak on that, that topic, there's people that have had abortions. Listen, there's forgiveness for that. There's a moving on from that. You don't have to be guilt-ridden the rest of the days of your life. God's a God of, of forgiveness. And we as his people are the same. And we need to forgive ourselves. Think about other things such as um, child pornography laws. You, you know, in our nation, you can't marry an 11-year-old girl, can you? You can't marry... Three wives, unless you live in Utah, right? You just can't do that. That's not moral. It's not with, according to our American conscience, and marriage is sure changing. Legal, legalization of certain drugs. Uh, boy, we've got a lot of states now where marijuana is legal. I remember taking a trip when our kids, they now are here in Texas, praise God, and they also are in their own, own place down in Corpus Christi. They've moved in and took their three dogs with them we were we we're sad about the grandchildren but those dogs we're not sad about that one of them's a dog bordeaux he's a mastiff you remember if you ever saw the movie turner and hooch that's that dog 
And man, you don't want to be 15 feet of that dog when he takes a drink of water. I don't, I don't even want to go into it. It still grosses me out. I, you just try to get away from him and make sure he doesn't rub up against you. You know, he's, he's, there's, never mind, stuff hanging off. That, what does that have to do with my message? Nothing. Nothing. That was a dramatic pause. I remember when we went to visit them in, in uh, Washington State. They, were, they lived just south of Seattle at the Army base uh, there. And I remember we went in, and man, lo and behold, I, I'd never seen a, a pot place, you know. They're all, they were all over the place. They had a green leaf with its five leaves or whatever up there on top. All the buildings were green, and you could stop and get, you, you know, get marijuana there. I told them I wanted to go into one. They're like, why? I said, I just want to see what it is. And I said, you know, they're like, no, you used to smoke dope back in the day. You don't get to go in there, Dad. And I said, I don't smoke dope anymore. That's a long, long time. That's teenage stuff. Uh, I left that when I came to Christ. Anyway, they had them everywhere. They were all over the place. Uh, there, and, and I know uh, Colorado... Uh, Austin's told me stories about his home state, and uh, and and you know he's half Texan, half half Colorado. Uh, but uh, the the resistance to the the gay movement has largely be, been fueled. Listen, I know they're really tagging us as being unkind and loving, but that stance is a biblical stance. God made for a man to marry a woman and a woman to marry a man. I mean, even Romans chapter 1 speaks about how this is against nature to do something different than this. That it's not just a moral consciousness, it's against nature. God has given a man and a woman to be together. And that's what we're called to to support. It's part of our conscience. And uh, I know that that has slipped these days in our nation, and the laws have changed, but we don't change because of that. We keep standing on what God's Word says, don't we? That's what we're called to do as Christ followers. Listen to this. Our consciousness has to be informed. Have you ever noticed that? We really have to have our consciousness informed. I want to use my children as an example. We raised four. All four of them were great children, best that's ever walked the planet, but they were little sin factories. I want to tell you about it. All right, they were cute as can be, but every one of them had a sin nature. How do I know that? Because their first words weren't mom or dad or mommy and dada. It was, no, mine. You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them what is right, what is wrong. That all comes with the package of raising a child, doesn't it? You have to teach them the right thing. They already know how to do the wrong thing. And if you encourage that behavior, they'll continue to do wrong things. Even the more. So important when we're raising children. I want you to hear a passage with me. Our consciousness has to be informed. In other words, we have to be taught what is right. Listen to this. We're born, and this sense of wrong and right Uh, It does have to be taught to us. Listen to this passage in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. He says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, how did they come up with that? Because they have a consciousness. There's a moral code there. It's been taught through some of their parents. Even some things that they didn't have the Bible or the law, 
They were learning some of these things. They watched it in other cultures. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousness also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Isn't that a very interesting passage that God inserts the concept of consciousness, our conscience, that what's going on there. Look at this as we read on. I don't know if you will remember this. Some of you are parents and grandparents about my age. But there was something that happened in my life that really impacted me about the way I think about something. I want to bring it up. In the 60s and then especially in the 70s, there was this production of plastic products that were now containers and there was aluminum that was produced for our, our drinks and so many products we bought at the store and cardboard. And all of a sudden, we went from having all these returnable bottles for, for milk and for uh, Pepsi or Coke products or whatever. You had to you'd bring your bottles back because you got a little bit of money for them. And you, you know, they would clean them up and cycle them out in the community again and, and sell them again. And then you'd bring your, and you know, you'd have your cartons. You remember those days? cartons and then they produced plastic and they produced cans and our culture had a shift a invention that should have helped our culture cause something horrible in our country all of a sudden we had all these products that you just throw away so all of a sudden we had this terrible problem in our culture in the United States with litter do you remember that now you got to remember I'm in I, I grew up in West Virginia and Kentucky in those days and a little bit of North Carolina and Virginia. Uh, and I want to tell you something. It's nothing for people to take trash, even some to this day, and just throw it over the, ba- the back of their hill. Now, there was a ad campaign. Some of you will remember this, and when you remember it, you are going to admit you're in my age category. There was an ad campaign. It was on television. It was in uh, uh, magazines, it was in newspapers, and it had to do with the littering of our streams and our uh, roadsides, and there was an Indian chief that was the star of the... Now, I I was a kid when this was going on, and I'd see those commercials, and it'd show people throwing trash out of their car on the freeway, or it'd show a stream with things floating in the stream, this beautiful stream, but there was trash all over. And I remember you'd see that Indian chief standing there, and he's looking at it. And in every commercial, what happened? You remember? One single tear would come down his cheek. I love that Indian. Man, I was like, yeah, that's my hero. I'm serious. Those commercials got to me. I hate litter. If you're a litter bug, I love you, but I hate what you're doing. I'm a radical litter person. You know why? Because it's part of my conscience. Why? Because our nation blitzed that subject. We had all these products that were coming out, and people were just throwing them away, and they were throwing them on the roadside and everything else, and then they started fining people into the hundreds of dollars if they littered. Boy, that helped. Get busted doing that a couple 
couple times and pay three or four hundred dollar fines. Back in that day, it was three or four hundred dollars. That's back when three or four hundred dollars was really three or four hundred dollars. That's a lot of money back then, wasn't it? And they would bust you. I, to this day, get out. You know, it's windy here in Texas. Have you all figured that out? I'm learning. But it is, I, I found out the other day, it's supposedly more windy here than it is in Chicago, which is called the Windy City. Yeah, I get out, and every now and then something's blown in our yard. It may be way out there. I can't stand going in church without going to get that first. Why? Because I have a conscience about litter. Why? Because my mom taught me and... There was a national campaign to be aware of this and to be a responsible citizen. And responsible citizens don't litter God's gift of this this country. So I'm radical about that. If you throw something down, I will make you pick it up. If you won't pick it up, then I'm going to wrestle you to the ground and then you'll pick it up. Not really. But I will give you a hard time. And then I'll pick it up. I shouldn't have told you that part. I, mean, I should have left it where I'd wrestle you to the ground. You'd be, be like, I'm going to pick that up because I don't want me and a pastor going down there. Listen, I just, it's part of my makeup. I grew up seeing that and reacted strongly to it. We used to be in a, a parking, I mean, we had a, a public building at the former church. And often they had all kinds of things, and there would be cans and sodas, bags. And the one I hated the most was where somebody changed their baby and then just left a diaper there. I mean a dirty diaper! And left it laying in the parking lot. I'm like, people, there's a trash can 20 feet away. So here I am on Sunday morning when I get there early, and I'm grabbing dirty diapers, and I'm grabbing, you know, I had to go sanitize myself before I shook hands at church. You follow? Listen, I'm just bringing all that stuff up. It just really got to me. I bought into that. I really, really did. Listen to this. The scriptures tell us that where did this conscience come from? Where did our national conscience come from? Where, where did we develop this sense of oughts and ought nots? Where did it come from? For those of us in this nation, they came straight out of the Bible. Let me verify and prove that. They came from principles in the scriptures. I want to show it to you. We have these Judeo-Christian ethics and values, principles, and that's where mainly out of the Old Testament and New Testament is where we got these things. In the, Let me, let me prove a couple of these, just, just to state this, and you'll see it. In the Declaration of Independence, 1776, It says, second sentence, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We declared that as a people, that there's a God to serve, and He's given us this certain rights. Now that has affected every stage of the development of the United States because If we believe that, and we got that from Scripture, then you can't treat people different from yourself. The Bible tells us as Christians we are to 
value someone at least on the same level we do ourselves. Jesus put it this way, our rule is the golden rule, treat others like you would like to be treated, right? The Bible tells us also in one passage in the book of Philippians to think of others higher than yourselves. That means you're going to really think about how you treat somebody else. It had everything to do with the abolishment of slavery. It had everything to do with the civil rights movement that's happened in our nation. It's had everything to do with thinking of people as they are equals. Nobody's better than somebody else. We're all on this planet together, and we need to love all people, right? All people. All people. You treat people with respect as an individual, with God-given rights, that God gave to them. The Gettysburg Address, listen to this line, written by Abraham Lincoln in his address. He says that we are highly resolved that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. The Pledge of Allegiance in the 1950s had this phrase added to it, um, lifted from Lincoln's address, that we are one nation under God added and of course there was a culture going on that day that national uh, motto of in God we trust uh, then got to the coins in 1964 and you may remember the continuation of that and even today that's challenged at times and there was something going on the cold war was going on in the 50s against the the Russians and they were basically thought of and believed to be atheist and many of them were And there was a statement that in the United States, this is part of that national uh, motto, in this country we we believe in God. We're distinct from this other ideology. There's part of that that's there. So let me give you some guidelines just to wrap up today. Here's some guidelines I want to give you. I'll just give you three guidelines quickly. For living in a pluralistic society, that we find ourselves where we're losing ground in morals and our American conscience, what can we do about that here at one church in the United States in Grand Prairie, Texas? What can we do? One thing we do is this. We realize in this life, God's called every one of us to be helpers. I know that sounds very juvenile, and you're like, boy, we're going to Sunday school. pastor's telling us, be a helper. Well, you're supposed to be a helper. Jesus saved you for a purpose, and it's to help others. And you've got to adopt a mindset that you are a minister of Jesus Christ. I'm a helper in this world. I'm not part of the problem. I'm a solution finder. I am one that is a solution. I'm a helper. Listen to the scripture. I'm back in the book of Acts, chapter 4. It says, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed... So here's what happened. They helped this guy. How did they help him? We're going to get into that story. How did they help this guy? This guy was healed. Well, if you know your Bible, you know what happened. If you go back to chapter 3 in the book of Acts, the first 11 verses, it has the story of this crippled man that was laying there at this gate, and he was crippled from uh, his birth. And the Bible tells us that They spoke to him about the Lord Jesus. Jesus healed him, and he's made whole. And then all a mess broke loose. People got all upset. So that's the background there. And 
the leading priests, the, the captain of the temple's guard, the, the, uh, there were some that were Sadducees that were there, and you know they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. You'll get that at lunch today, okay? Sad, one more time, sad, you see. You see, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you'll be sad. And uh, they didn't. The Pharisees did. But the Sadducees didn't, didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were so upset. Listen to the scriptures here. I want to share it with you. From Acts chapter 3, verse 13, it says these words, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Father, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murder be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of that. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that he was given this complete healing, has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. Well, you think that that settles it, but it doesn't, right? Because people were struggling. What do you mean this man, Jesus, healed this man? Didn't he, isn't he the one that died, they crucified? Well, yep, he just declared that he's alive, amen? He declared that to them. So in this passage, we have this further evidence here. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 2, it states that uh, they were very disturbed at Peter and John claiming that they had authority in Jesus. They talked about how they were ordinary men, that the only thing noteworthy about their lives is that they had been with Jesus. Boom! <laughs> Isn't that what's really exciting about anybody is that they know Jesus and they've been with him? I mean, if you brag about knowing anybody else, the ultimate brag is to know Jesus Christ, isn't it? That is what life is all about. It says, by what power did you do this? And in response, Peter filled with the Spirit, the Bible says, in Acts chapter 4, verse 9, if you are being called to account for this act of account, if we are being called to account to show that we shown to this cripple and asked how he was healed, it's so important that we understand that we are to speak our convictions clearly without intending offense. Now, I have a little bit of the gift of a prophet. I can speak. That's one that speaks, speaks for God. Has a, you have to do it in love or it can be misunderstood and come across harshly. And I tell people that have a prophetic gift to watch that. It's really important that we speak in love, that we speak with kindness. It's important that we do that. We also must... Whatever we do, we must realize that if we have an opportunity to encounter someone and help them, we need to help them. So let me share with you this one last thing, and that is this. We're always representing Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says this in chapter 4 of Acts. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus gets the credit, amen? Jesus gets the credit. That's absolutely important that we always realize that. Down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, God has been given us the, the task of reconciling people to himself. We are Christ's ambassadors. Webster's Dictionary defines an ambassador this way. Listen to this. This is a great definition. 
an official envoy, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank, accredited to a foreign government or a sovereign, or sovereign as the as the resident representative of his government or sovereign, a diplomatic agent, an authorized representative or messenger. Philip Yancey said it this way about us in one of his writings. He says, "For the watching world, we ourselves serve as proof." That God is alive. Do you realize that may be the only Bible somebody reads is your life? They're your neighbor. They don't go to church. They don't, they don't know anything about Christianity. You may, you may be it. God may be using you as an instrument to show them God is alive. Listen to this. George Schultz. You remember George Schultz. You'll have to go back a ways. He was uh, Secretary of State to President Reagan. And uh, he had an act that he would do with every one of his ambassadors around the globe. He would have them come in, and he had this gigantic job, uh, globe that was in his office. And, you know, it was back before they changed every five years. You know, you, every, every year or two, there's another different country. And he uh, would have the ambassador come, and when they came in the room, he said, would you go to the globe and show me where you're going to be and what you're going to be representing? They would go, and by the way he said it, they would always spin it to the country that they were going to go to. He says, yes, you will be in that locality, but you will not represent that country. And then he would spin the globe again and come to the United States, and he said, know this, and know this above everything else you know. As a representative of these United States, you will always represent us. You will always reflect us. You will always stand for us. You will always stand for our common beliefs and what we are standing on as a nation of the United States of America. Did you know that God did the same thing with you? He took you, brought you into Jesus Christ, and then what did he do? Your life is not your own. I am an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ. I am to remember that in all that I do. We stand and share the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It's so important that we hear this before we wrap up. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. That settles it, doesn't it? In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus, his own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except except through me. That's it. We believe in an exclusive pathway. I know it would be easy today to say all paths lead to God. It's not true. And I have gotten in some hot water over that through the years. But I'm a Christian, number one. Number two, I am a Christian pastor. My job is to share the truth because it is the truth that sets men and women free. Something else doesn't. I'm not going to propagate other religions. I think they have the right to be. But I believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that under heaven there is no other name given by which we must be saved. He's it. He's the path. You believe that because you're a Christian. And if you don't believe that, you're a universalist. Love you. 
part of Christianity is you've come to that truth. It's so important you understand there is no compromise on this issue. I remember one time we had a president years ago say, we all serve the same God. Really? If Jesus is our attachment, we're not serving the same God, right? That's the only way. I know that sounds so preacherish. Churchy. Somebody said churchy. But it's the truth, church. Live it out. Say it. Declare it. Even if they get bugged at you, just do it in love. If they get bugged at you, so what? You live for an audience of one, young people. You've got a God in heaven to please. That's who you're going to answer to when it's all said and done. It's important that we shout it from the rooftops and we tell people that. As a Christ follower, I'm a helper of all people. I I am a representative and ambassador of Jesus Christ, and I am to share Jesus exclusively as, as the path of God. I'm done. That's the truth. Those three things you can do in a pluralistic culture. You can swim upstream. It gets tough, and you might get tired at times. But you can swim upstream. Amen? You are responsible for swimming upstream because God put us in this culture and we've got to be part of that American conscience in this great nation that's left so much of what we held as valuable, our ethics and our principles. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the rest of our service and especially this invitation time. If someone needs to respond to you, help them to come. And especially if they need to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want to come and pray for our nation today. Lord, lead us to do so. In Christ's name, amen.